Good to see everybody. Hey, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. So good to have you guys back. Uh, hope you had a good Christmas holiday. Was it good? All right, eat some good food. Oh, we had some homemade lasagna. Oh, man. We hadn't done that for a while. It's been, it's been a few years since we did homemade lasagna. It was so good. Yeah, it's true. It was not the healthiest, but it was tasty. Man, it was so good. It's a new year. Um, you know, let me share just a couple things before we get into uh, my message. It, January, new year, um, something I like to do is during this time of the year is really pray and reflect. Uh, Pray and reflect on the, the last year and try to really listen to the Holy Spirit and understand what he wants for my life, our church, my family, and look ahead. And I want to encourage you guys to do that. Um, my message today is not going to be specifically on that. Many times the first sermon of January, I like to do a kind of a New Year's message for you guys to help you get focused on on looking forward, uh, and I'm not going to do that today because I, I, I feel like there's another sermon that I'm supposed to share with you, but, um, but I'd encourage you to do that this year. Really pray, think about what does Jesus want to do in your life this year, okay? Um, there's a practice that uh, Tammy and I developed years ago, and, and we still do it, um, and it's called naming your year. Are some of you familiar with that? It's, you don't hear, it's not very common, but something that we've done that is really beneficial is during this time of the year, we'll pray and try to listen uh, to the Holy Spirit as he speaks to our hearts about this upcoming year and ask the Lord to give us a name for the year. And this would be like a, a one word or a phrase that would prophetically summarize what you believe the Lord wants to do in you. So for example, for some people, that word might be healing. It might be prayer. It might be abiding. You know, I'm just throwing things out. But you need to listen to what the Lord is saying to you and then prophetically um, put that into practice. I'm excited this year. What I sense for me is I want to grow in prayer and specifically uh, prayer journaling. Man, it's been a while since I've done that. I don't know if anybody here has ever really uh, utilized that um, spiritual practice of journaling through your prayer. Has anybody done that before? I know Derek has. I've seen some of his journals. Really amazing, too. Multiple colors, great handwriting. Mine's not quite like that. Mine's not even legible. But I can read it. That's the only thing that matters. I'm going to steal the water. The Lord, the Lord can read it, and I can read it. I, my handwriting is not the best. Does that surprise you? Or no. Um, but what I'm excited about is uh, Tammy and I have been working on a, a prayer room in our house. We have a place uh, there was an office in our house, and we've used it for multiple things throughout our lives. I mean, it was like when the kids were little, it was put the kids in there so they don't hurt themselves or anybody else. And it was a playroom. It was an office. But now we have a place of prayer, and it's really coming together. It's just a place that we can go to seek the face of God and spend time there with the Lord. And one thing I'm looking forward to, and I sense for my year, is to journal and to write out what, what is God saying to me and uh, decisions I need to make to think through that with the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm excited for you. 
You know, maybe you've never done that. You, you know, you might be 19 years old and you're like, I don't know, I'm just trying to pass my classes. I got, that's fine, that's cool. But um, I think just thinking about this year and what God wants to do in you would be really valuable for you. And I think one, one area that all of you can grow in this year, this includes myself, is growing in the virtue of wisdom. And so I'm going to actually share a sermon with you today that I hope will help you to develop this, um, this virtue that we call wisdom. Let me open up my uh, iPad here. Okay, so, um, oh good, you didn't put the slide up yet. Don't do it. Oh, oh no, take it away, take it away. No, don't do that. Actually, you can put it up. Just kidding. I, I made a bigger deal. Okay, so I want, this morning I want to talk with you about um, how you can avoid blind spots. Um, let's go back to driver's ed. Now, for some of you, that's only going back a, a year or two. For some of you, that's going back like 40 years. That'd be only me. Um, but do you remember in uh, driver's ed where if you had a good instructor, he or she would, would really uh, hammer this point home about, oh, is this my phone? Oh, oh, the Godfather's calling. Hold on. Hold on. Let me see. Uh, the Godfather. All right. It was my dad. No, it just wasn't. Um, so if you had a good instructor in driver's ed, he or she would tell you about blind spots. Did anybody learn about blind spots? Okay. Do you all check your blind spot when you switch lanes? To be honest. Okay. Um, if you are unaware of your blind spot, it can cost you your life. It can cost the life of the person driving next to you. And that's not being overly dramatic. It's a very dangerous situation when you're on the road, and especially on the highway, and you don't look at your blind spot. Now, um, I'm going to talk with you today about blind spots, but this is a more dangerous blind spot than a vehicle blind spot. So here's what I'm talking about when I refer to blind spots in your life. My definition is this. A blind spot is an area of sin, foolishness, or error that you do not see in yourself. Okay, so a blind spot is an area of sin, a foolishness, or error that you cannot see in yourself. So let's look at the graphic here together. And you guys have all seen this. You know what is happening. But this blue car, of course, has two blind spots. Now, to the car's left, there is a car. You can see it, right? I can see it. If you have an aerial view, everybody can see it. But the driver of this blue car does not know somebody is next to him. And that is a blind spot. And this is what is very similar in our lives. There are areas of my life of, of foolishness or error or sometimes sin that I can't see. I don't know it's there. But there are people in our lives that have kind of an aerial view over you, and they can see it. Does that make sense? So, like, there's something in you that you can't see, but the people around you, or at least some of them around you, can clearly see it. Just like many people on the highway can see that car, but the driver of the blue car can't see the car, even though it's there. 
So this morning I want to talk with you uh, about these blind spots in your life, and I realize that it might be a difficult message to receive, um, because, you know, it requires something that is that is not always present in our lives. And um, it requires something that I will call humility. Um, the, the way to, to identify blind spots, as I will develop in this message with you, um, means that we must be open to uh, the words and the correction from people around us. And that requires humility. And the uh, ability to, to see that blind spot uh, also leads to wisdom. So it requires humility to, to receive this correction. And if you will exhibit that humility, it will then lead to wisdom. Now, before I get into that, let's talk about humility. Like, what is humility? Okay, what, what, what is it? Um, I, a dictionary definition would be this. Humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance a modest or low view of one's own importance. I don't disagree with that. That's an element of humility, for sure. I think you can expand that definition. And something that, that I've discovered over the past several decades is that humility could also be defined as this. This is the, the Pastor Nino definition. You ready? Tammy's ready. An honest view of your strengths and weaknesses. That's humility. I used to think when I was young that if I would acknowledge things that I was good at, that that was arrogance. That can lead to arrogance if you're an arrogant person, but that's not arrogance, right? So to know that you're good at art and you can paint or to know that you're good at math or you're good at chess or you're good at fashion or you're good at sports, that's not arrogance. I used to think it was. That's just honesty. And, and recognizing your own weaknesses as well is humility. So really, to me, humility is just a, an honest observation of who you are. Yeah, there's a lot of things I'm really good at, and there's way more things that I'm not good at. That's humility. And I want to become all I'm supposed to be in Jesus. Um, the Greek word, anybody know the Greek word for uh, wisdom? Look at the Bible scholar. Yep. Sophia. Isn't that just such a beautiful word? Sophia. It just comes off your tongue. It's so much different than like wisdom. Sophia. It's just, I've always thought it would be a beautiful name for a, a girl. Sophia. But Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. Now, wisdom is not knowledge. Knowledge is acquired um, facts and uh, acquired uh, understanding, but to me, wisdom is the ability to use knowledge and to apply it to a given situation, okay? And so, humility leads one into a place of wisdom, and what I'm talking about with you today is how you can acquire wisdom. That's what this message is really about, how to make 2023 a year of wisdom for you. Um, now, I'm going to have to be honest with you. Uh, this is an area that 
was really difficult for me when I was young, and I'm not alone in this. Um, these two virtues, humility and wisdom, are not always exceptionally prevalent in the lives of young people. Okay? And I don't mean this condescending in any way. Just most of us in H2O are in their teens or in your 20s. Um, and I know for me, when I was young, my life wasn't marked by humility and wisdom. And that's just a function of, that was a function of who I was, but it was also a function of lack of life experience, lack of maturation, just my age, right? And so the message that I'm about to share with you and the sermon I'm going to preach today might be difficult to receive if, if you are an arrogant person. So, um, and I was, believe me, uh, ask my wife. That was a joke. Uh, but I was, I was, I dealt with arrogance. I really thought I knew more than I really did when I was a young man. And that arrogance was incompatible with a life of humility and wisdom because it was the predominant characteristic I saw in myself as I look back now. So, um, so if you've dealt with arrogance and if that's been a struggle, under, receiving what I'm about to say will be difficult. And, and that's why I think it takes a special measure of grace to understand this teaching on blind spots. So I want to pray with you guys this morning. I want to uh, really just come before the Lord if we could. I know we already did this in worship, but let's pray and open our heart to the Lord. Let's invite the Holy Spirit, ask that he will speak to us and really make this more than just a message, but a life change in you, a life change in me. It's like something eternal will be done. Can we pray together? Let's do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give us that enables us to become transformed day by day into the image of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to grow in wisdom. We want to grow in humility. And Father, I pray that you will pour forth your Holy Spirit in this time to give us a measure of grace to receive this teaching on blind spots, to understand what they are and to apply them to our lives. Father, I pray for everyone here that this year will be marked by growth in humility and wisdom and that, God, even this whole understanding of blind spots can become a really crucial part of our H2O culture of who we are. And, God, for this to happen, we need a miracle of your Holy Spirit. So we welcome you and we thank you for it. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to jump in. You ready? Blind spots. I'm going to talk with you about the number one way to find your blind spot. And that is what the Bible calls rebuke. Rebuke. Now, there are several scriptures that talk about the importance of a rebuke and how a rebuke is actually not something to be feared, but it's something to be embraced for those that want to grow in wisdom. Um, so we're going to jump into Proverbs. Because if you want to really read in the scriptures about rebuke, just go to Proverbs. It's basically every other line talks about rebuking. Um, and so we're going to open up in Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 7 through 9. So if you want to open up there, I'll wait for you. Proverbs 9, 7 through 9. 
Let's read this. One who corrects a scoffer gets dishonor for himself, and one who rebukes a wicked person gets insults for himself. Do not rebuke a scoffer or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise person and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise person and he will become still wiser. Teach a righteous person and he will increase his insight. King Solomon here is comparing and contrasting two different people, those that are foolish and those that are wise. If you come and you bring a rebuke, which is a correction to somebody's life, and if it is a foolish person, it's not going to help. What's going to happen? One who rebukes a wicked person gets insults for himself. You ever tried to bring a rebuke to somebody and, and then all you got was like a little, it's like a dog that attacked you after you gave the rebuke. You're trying to help them and they come in the opposite spirit. You ever experienced that? So that's what the Bible is saying happens when you rebuke a scoffer, someone that doesn't want to grow in wisdom. But if you look at the end of this passage, if you give instruction to a wise person, he becomes still wiser. You teach a righteous person and he will increase his insight. Somebody that wants to grow in wisdom who has a blind spot and receives correction will actually become better. There was a huge blind spot in, uh, in my life in 2010, and I'm going to share the story with you. Um, and the nature of blind spots, as I said, is you don't even see what it is. You, you don't know it's there. Um, this is way before most of your time, but it was 2010, and the world was chaotic. It, we were in a huge financial crisis. Um, and so I won't go into the, all the boring details of what caused it, but basically property values had, were just collapsing. You guys probably heard your parents talk about this, 2007, 8, 9, and 10, right? And so houses, land went down 50, 60, 70%. And so um, Tammy and I lived in our house that we live in now. You guys have been to it, you know, grilling at the Grisco's. Uh, and we were in that house. And I was just looking at what was happening, and man, the property was just collapsing. I thought, wow, this is an opportunity. So we had um, identified a house that was just a great, it was what I thought was a great house, beautiful. It was like ridiculously expensive in the housing bubble. It was like $600,000, and it crashed down to $200,000. Like, ah, oh, this is the time to buy. So Tammy and I were like, let's do it. You know, we had been responsible financially. We had saved money. We had capital. So I went, put an offer on the house. And nobody, I mean, nobody, it wasn't like I was going to get outbid. It, it was crazy. Remember, 2010, it was like nobody could sell anything. It was owned by the bank. It was a foreclosure. But the house was literally brand new. It looked like nobody had lived in it. You walked in, it smelled like a new car smell. I'm like, wow, this is amazing, you know. Uh, so we put an offer in the house, on the house, got it. Of course, the bank's like, please take it, you know, because we have it, and it's a foreclosure. And so we're excited, and we're like, this is great. So now we own our current house, so we're going to um, go into the rental business, I guess. So I'm going to rent out my house and become a landlord, and uh, then we're going to buy this house. And so um, at this time... Uh, my kids were in karate. Yes, all the Griscos are second-degree black belts. Not including Tammy and I. Um, but um, we, we were telling everybody at the karate school, 
about it. Everybody, we're just excited. And the, um, the owner of that karate school, who's the, the grandmaster, uh, if anybody did uh, taekwondo, um, like Abby and others, you would know that, uh, you know, there's a grandmaster usually. And so the grandmaster was also um, just a, a Christian, a great man of God, super generous, um, great real estate investor, just, just a really wise guy, right? Very, very wealthy in many ways, spiritually, emotionally, financially. So we're excited. We're like, man, this house is $400,000 off. This is sweet. You know, I can't believe this brand new house. Um, it's going to be great. I mean, we got the code from the realtor. Uh, we'd like go in the house and I... And, Johnny and Matt will remember this. They'd like pick out their rooms. I'm going to have this room. And we'd like chill out in the house. We're like, this is great. And the realtor that was helping me, helping me was a neighbor in my neighborhood. I was trying to help bring closer to Christ. And so we had developed a friendship. So we just, we were like in. I mean, you know, Tammy had already thought about the colors of the walls, I'm sure. We're like, we're, we're in. And it was, it was beautiful, you know. It was super cheap. That's how we, we don't like to pay retail. I don't know if you know Tammy. But I like, I like things on sale. Anybody with me? I cannot stand getting ripped off. I'm like, and when something's on sale for $400,000 off, I'm, 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 in. I'm in. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm in. I, they accepted it. We're like, yes, let's go. The money's there. Let's do this thing. I get a call from uh, uh, Master Ian, who's Keith Hafner's son. He says, Hey, Nino. He's like really cheery guy. He goes, hey, Nino, this is Ian from Keith Hafner's Karate. I go, hey, Ian. He goes, hey, did you close on that house yet? I said, oh, no, I didn't. He goes, okay, well, my dad said it's very important. He wants to talk with you before you close on that house. Don't close on that deal until you talk with me. Can you guys come in? I'm like, well, we're coming in, you know, tonight. He goes, okay, I'll tell him he'll get an appointment with you. Hung the phone up. I told Tammy, oh, shoot, we're going to get spanked. Actually, Tammy just said she told me that. Probably true. She's the wiser one. Oh, man. So anyway, and again, he's a great man, and he, and he called us in his office, and he said, so what's going on? I share the whole deal, and I thought I had my whole everything, the ducks in a row. I've laid out the whole plan financially, how much capital we have and this and how great a deal. And it's like, we're going to rent out our house. And, and so to spare you all the details, he basically said, um, you, you're going to go into the landlord business. You don't have a clue what you're doing. He said, I, I've done this. He also owns many, many, many rental properties in Ann Arbor. I've heard his family is one of the largest landlords in the whole city of Ann Arbor. And so he looked at me and he said, you really don't know what you're doing at all. Uh, you're going to get uh, rentals, uh, renters in there, and they could very easily destroy the whole property. Your house is not, your current house is not worth nearly what you owe, so you're upside down in it. And he just broke this whole thing down, and he said at the end, after basically rebuking me for like five minutes, okay, Tammy said it was more. It hurt. Uh, he looked at me and he said, listen, I do these deals all the time. I'd never do this deal. I'm like, shoot. Now, what am I going to think? One of the larger landlords in the whole city of Ann Arbor, godly man, great character, sows millions into missions, loves our family, has done probably hundreds and hundreds of these deals. What am I going to say? Well, I know better than you. I'm going to do the deal. 
Um, I was tempted. <laughs> so let me tell you, I was tempted to say that. But I, Tammy and I got out of there, and I'm like, what do we do? And she's like, well, we got to listen to him. He knows what he's talking about. You know, I'm like, that's true. That was a blind spot, see? So there was a blind spot. And who knows what could have happened in our lives and to our home that we owned and the stress. Um, I mean, he broke it down. I mean, he, he basically said, listen, you're going to get into this deal, and you're going to have, it's going to be a headache with, with the renters. Um, you're going to start having stress in your marriage. It's going to leak down to the kids. I mean, he broke this whole thing down. It was, it was just crazy. So we get out of there, and we said, you know what? We're not going to do the deal. So we had to call the realtor, call the mortgage broker, and tell them all. I had to humble myself. Hey, I'm pulling out of this deal. This guy that knows us, and he's really wise. He told us not to do the deal. We're not going to do it. So long story short, we pulled out because it was a blind spot in our life. And um, have, have we ever second-guessed whether we should have pulled out? Of course I have. But one thing I don't second-guess is that it was the right decision to follow wise counsel from somebody that cares about us and knows way more than me in that area. Very, very wise. So uh, he brought us a rebuke, and that rebuke was beneficial. Let's go to the next passage here. Proverbs 29.1. It says this. A person often rebuked who becomes obstinate will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. So, this ties into a blind spot perfectly. Of course, if there is literally a car next to you and you fail to see it and you change lanes, you can um, certainly be broken beyond remedy. Your body can be broken, their body can be broken. But even in, in, this, in a different sense, what I'm talking about, if somebody is getting rebuked repeatedly by those that care about them, that are around them, and they refuse to listen to the counsel, will be broken sometimes beyond remedy. And we've seen that in our lives. I mean, being in ministry, being a pastor, this is a part of my life. It's a part of my job description, rebuking people. Anybody want to sign up? Come on, we got it. We need, hey, we're looking for interns. Let's go. Want some interns for this fall. But this part of what I'm expected to do is to love you guys enough to rebuke you, to care for you when I see something. And we've, Tammy and I have seen this repeatedly that there are some people that refuse to listen to counsel and it will lead to them being broken beyond remedy. In my family and among my friends, I've tragically seen this. Refusal to see your blind spots will lead to your destruction. I hope that seems extreme because it is. I'm going to say it one more time. Refusal to see your blind spots will lead to your destruction. But acknowledging your blind spots will lead to your prosperity and your blessing. Look at Proverbs 25, 11, and, uh, and 12. Let's put that up. So this is Proverbs 25, if you're taking notes, remember this one. Verse 11 and 12, amazing passage on rebuking, the importance of it. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken at the proper time. 
Like an earring of gold and a jewelry piece of fine gold is a wise person who offers rebuke to a listening ear. Solomon here is explaining the, the beauty and uh, the, the uh, invaluable nature of a rebuke. And he's using economic terms because in his world, gold and silver were the highest monetary value that he knew of. And so he's trying to tell you that when, when you speak a word to somebody, when you see a blind spot in somebody's life and you rebuke them and you point that out, it is like gold and silver, but it's more than gold and silver. Gold and silver are just monetary commodities. A rebuke is eternal. A, a rebuke from a loving person, a loving friend or parent or coworker, or neighbor, or teacher, can lead to eternal blessing and prosperity. So he uses gold and silver, but I would say it's way more valuable than even gold and silver. Um, I thank God for my, my longest-term best friend named Chris Norman, also known as Cheeseback, also known as Firehead. We had names for each other in high school. We called each other all kinds of things. They called me like meatball and bugs. We called him firehead. You can guess what color his hair was. Um, it was just funny. But, but he's known me since I was 14. And he's been a great counselor in my life. He's a really godly man. We came to Jesus together at, at around 19, 18, 19, saved out of this incredible darkness we were in. And um, we came to the University of Michigan together as Christians. And I'll never forget a rebuke he gave me. So this is a rebuke that um, might, I was trying to think of an illustration that might relate to you guys more than my earlier um, illustration on buying property. Because to you, you might be thinking, well, that's so far off. Well, I'm going to talk about something that's a little more uh, applicable to your life, okay? So uh, I'd come to Jesus came to U of M. We're excited. We're getting involved with Christian ministries, and we're in our apartment. I was in the kitchen cooking something. I wish I could remember what I was cooking, but uh, I love to cook. I was cooking something, and Chris was in there with me, and we were chatting, and I swore a lot because that's all I knew. You know, growing up uh, as a non-Christian, all my friends, we just, we just swore constantly. I mean, it was just, it was my vocabulary. You know what I'm saying? Um, and this was in... Um, this conversation with Chris was 1990. That is before the F-bomb was cool. I mean, now I can't even listen to a, a YouTube podcast without everything. I mean, it's just like there's no decorum anymore. It's like, it's not even, it's not even a bad word anymore. They're going to have to come up with another bad word because they used to think it was cool that they could, you know, Joe Rogan could like say the F-word all the time, but now it's not even like a problem. So it's like part of the vocabulary. But back in the old days... It was like, whoa, you just dropped the F-bomb a lot, you know? So I must have swore, swore a lot. I, don't even, I didn't even know it. So I'm in, I'm in the kitchen with him, and I'm just talking and talking about my day, and I must have been just like, F this, whatever. And uh, Chris looked at me, and he said, wow. He goes, man, you swear all the time. Did you know that? And I said, really? He goes, yeah, man. You're just like, F this and that and this. And uh, I said, yeah, he goes, man, we're Christians now. We should, you know, really try to, you know, set an example with our words and the way we speak. And I said, yeah, you're right. That's true. I do swear all the time. It's a good point. And so um, I started from that moment on to try to swear less. 
And, uh, you know, it was, it, was a, it was a great rebuke. I needed that, right? I knew he cared. I knew he was my best friend. And I had to be humble, right? I didn't say, what do you mean? Why are you, what do you put me down? I mean, I'm growing in other areas and got defensive. I just was like, yeah, that's true. I swear all the time. Okay. And uh, by the grace of God, I don't swear at Tammy. She's never heard me swear, but don't be deceived by that. It's not like I don't sin. I just, that was an easy sin to overcome. There was other sins that were a lot more difficult, like pride, arrogance, sexual sin, you know, alcohol. The swearing was like the, easy, the little dandelion, you know, just, just pull that right out of the ground. And then there was like some big old nasty cottonwood trees, like... That's going to take some big, heavy equipment, you know what I'm saying? To get that out of the ground, it's like, bring in the stump grinder. I mean, swearing was easy. The sins, the big sins are different. But anyway, you can, you can receive rebuke for little things, you know? It doesn't have to be big things in your life, just little areas that, um, that we need to grow in and change. Okay, let me close this passage with one more passage, and then I want to get really practical with you about how to give a rebuke and how to receive a rebuke, okay? Um, so let's go Revelation chapter 3. Amazing passage here. Okay, so this is the words of our Lord in the revelation that he gave to John. Jesus said this, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Woo, that sounds awesome. Anybody want to become a Christian today? Yeah. That's what you're signing up for. Hey, you guys, we've been doing evangelism on campus. That might not be the best way to introduce Jesus. Hey, you want to get rebuked and disciplined by Jesus? Come and join us. But I'm telling you, that if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to truly be his servant, he will rebuke you and he will discipline you. And why does he do that? Why? Because he loves you. Um, you will have to do this as a parent one day with your children, right? A parent that loves his child, a parent that cares for her child will rebuke that child uh, continually out of love. If you don't rebuke and you don't correct your child, the Bible says you hate them. My son dropped a truth bomb the other day at dinner. I don't know where this came from, Matt. Matt, he's a little high schooler. Well, not little. He's a big high schooler. Uh, so we're sitting around, and uh, I don't even remember how this conversation came up. What was the context of that? I don't even remember. What was it? It was so good. I wish I could remember. Oh, oh, we were talking about Amelia, my grandbaby. And I already told Emma, when Emma got, was pregnant, I said, there's no budget for Amelia whatsoever. This is really difficult for Emma to understand because we're a family that budgets everything. We're very frugal. We literally have the spreadsheets. I mean, Jonathan Fellows would be proud. I mean, we're very organized financially. So, you know, it's like, we're going to go to Buffalo Wild Wings. You're splitting a Happy Meal with your sibling. And we're getting one drink for all of us. I mean, we are frugal. 
It, and, and it's kids' night, so it's $1.99 for the Happy Meal, and you each get, uh, there's one for two of you. I mean, so Emma's like, who are you? <laughs> well, I'm Grandpa. There's no budget for baby Amelia. So we're talking about Amelia. So Matthew drops this truth bomb. He says, he goes, raise your children, spoil your grandkids. Then he said this, spoil, spoil your kids, raise your grandkids. I was like, whoa, you're only 18. Man, that's a wise, eligible man right there. Uh, wow. So, and, and there is truth in that. And I bet in your families you've seen this, haven't you? Have you seen, you don't have to raise your hands. I'm not trying to embarrass people, but you've seen grandparents raising grandkids, haven't you? I've seen that in my home, in my, not in my home, but in my family. Um, and that is not simply reduced to one variable. Well, that parent spoiled their kids, therefore they're raising their grandkids. It's far more complex to that. And I'm not trying to oversimplify the pain that grandparents find themselves in in today's world. I realize that, okay? But there is truth to that, that when you, when you don't rebuke, when you don't correct, you're setting up people for a lack of success in life. And the parents that love their children rebuke them. That's why I rebuked you so much, Johnny. Because I loved you. The girls, they didn't get rebuked much. That's the problem. Just kidding. <laughs> Just joking. It's really hard as a man to be stern with a daughter, at least if you're a good father. I'm like, oh, it's my flower. She's so beautiful. Come here, honey. Yes, you have. Whatever. The boys is like, get up to your room. I'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> here we come. You know? You'll see one day. Oh, man, the little precious girl. So, um, yeah, rebuke. Rebuke is important. It helps you to, to discover your blind spot. So let's close uh, practically because I want to help you guys uh, even at your younger age, to be able to develop this skill that I, I didn't have when I was in my 20s. It you probably took to be in my 30s when I started to really understand this, and I'd love for you guys to grow in it even now. It'll be a blessing for you. So let's talk about um, how to give a rebuke. Okay, that's the first thing. How to give it. And I'm going to explain a strategy that has proven effective for me. Um, what I suggest that you do is this. Um, this is not a one-size-fits-all. So for you extremists here, I'm not saying this is the only way you give a rebuke, okay? I feel like Pastor Chris here. I'm laying out the whole preamble. Um, this is not the only way to rebuke, but I found it to be one of the more effective ways to rebuke. If you see, like, so for example, I see something in Noah. I'm going to pick on you, Noah. I can just come up to Noah and say, hey, Noah, I want to talk to you. Let's sit down and just point out the, the area of the blind spot in your life. I found that an effective technique would be this, to say, um, hey, Noah, there's an area in your life I think I see that could be a blind spot. Would you want me to point that out and talk about what I, I think I see in you? And see, what I'm doing is I'm then putting it, the ball in his court and he is sharing in this moment of correction. He is then saying, 
no, I don't want to see it. Or he's saying, and this is not a great example because you're on staff and work for me, so I know it's kind of a bad example. So it's like, what are you going to say? No, I don't want to know. Um, so maybe this wasn't the best illustration. Forgive me. But I, I think the principle stands. Um, this could apply to anybody. When they say, yes, I want to know, you are, they are now coming into this moment of correction with you. They are choosing, right? So... I'm telling you, this, this works. Instead of just coming, so it's like, uh, hey, there's an area of your life that you need to grow in. I see this sin in you, blah, blah, blah. Ask for permission to speak. And if they say, I'm not ready, I, I'm not sure I want to have that conversation, you go, okay, it's fine. I'll pray for you. And it puts the person receiving the rebuke in a, place of, in a posture of humility, okay, because they have to invite it. So when they get in that posture of humility, they're more likely to receive, right? And, and it protects you from just being kind of controlling and too domineering. Does that make sense? Um, for those of you that don't like conflict, this is very effective. Do I have any conflict avoidance people in the house today? I honestly, I don't like conflict. I really don't. Uh, I don't know if our staff maybe would, maybe that's not surprising at all to you. Maybe it is surprising to hear that. But I've had, I choose to rebuke. I don't like it. Um, some people do. <laughs> they have their own issues. <laughs> so, uh, uh, yeah, some people want to rebuke too much, you know, so we won't go there. So if you're one of them, pray, pray to Jesus tonight about that. Let the, Lord, let the Lord speak to you a little bit. So how do you give a rebuke? You ask them for permission to speak, and then when they give you permission, yes, I want to know what do you see in me, be very precise, okay? It's not emotional, especially if they've hurt you. That's where it becomes really difficult, doesn't it? Because if they've hurt you, your emotion comes out like, well, you said this and that. Okay, and eh, that's not where you want to go. That's not going to help, okay? That's not words of, like, gold and silver, okay? So when they give you permission, you then try to be precise. When, when this happened, this is what, how it made me feel. Or when you did this, I thought, wow, this could be dangerous for your life, and so I'm telling you to watch this because I think this is a blind spot. Be precise and surgical, not emotional, and I know we're not robots, so it's not always easy, but try to be precise about it. And then ask them, and could I pray for you about this? There you go. That is how to give a rebuke. Not the only way, but that's what I found to be effective. Now, um, how to receive a rebuke? Well, let me, let me just say this too. I haven't formulated this fully in my sermon prep, so I, I don't want to say too much, but before I go on to receiving, giving a rebuke, be wise about who you rebuke. I tend to rebuke uh, horizontally and down in terms of authority. Now, I tend not to uh, rebuke up upwards. Now that you might think, well, that's easy for you to say you're the pastor, so I can't rebuke you. I want to rebuke you, Pastor Nino. Go for it. And I'll tell you in a moment why I, why I do receive rebuke from those that are under my leadership and care. But um, I have seen people 
that are all too willing to rebuke up. They really want to rebuke the people above them. That's a red flag for me. That's not respectful of authority. That doesn't mean the people over me, and I have many people over me in authority in our church. That doesn't mean that they don't do things wrong, and it doesn't mean at times they might not need a rebuke, but I don't want to. You know what I mean? Like give it to the man type of attitude, you know? Yeah, that professor, that pastor. So I like to, to, to know who you're rebuking. Horizontal rebuke within the cores. Um, you know, not like my core leader. I want to just rebuke that core leader, you know? Well, give it a try sometimes. It's not as easy as it looks, is it? You know, it's, it's a spiritual work. And I appreciate you core leaders for doing that. But know who, yeah, thank you for what you do. And just rebuke horizontally and downward primarily. And I'll explain how to, to, to rebuke upward as well. But I just wanted to share that. Now, that's how to give a rebuke. Number two, how to receive a rebuke. Um, if you want to grow in this area uh, and your relationship with Christ, you're, you're going to need to have people in your life that you entrust to be the rebukers. The people that you will invite into your life who are doing life with you, and they will be your rebukers. And you must intentionally invite people into your life, or it probably won't happen. Remember, I, I, I did the show of hands, how many people don't like conflict, and like at least half of you were like, I hate it. You know what I mean? I get it. Um, and we all know that, so people are, tend to be unwilling to give correction because it's uncomfortable for the person giving it, and it's uncomfortable for the person receiving it. So for you, how do you receive a rebuke? Here's some tips I'll give you. I want you to, um, and this is actually homework for you, I want you to, um, to pray, you know, after we're done here this week, <clears throat> pray and ask the Lord, is there somebody in my life that I could invite to actually have that really important role to point out blind spots in my life? Like, pray about that. Is there somebody in my life, somebody around me, that I will personally invite to point out the blind spots, and I will give them permission to correct and rebuke me when they see something? If you really want to grow in humility and you want to grow in wisdom, you're going to have to take the lead and invite people around you to do that because they, they won't do it on their own. So this is something I've also discovered. Um, uh, and it's something I, I utilize. Um, this is important. Um, core leaders, core group leaders. This is something that would take uh, tremendous humility. But I, and I'm not saying you should do this, but you might want to consider it. Um, the people in your core group see your leadership. They, they know how you're leading. They see the great things. They see the blind spots that you can't see. You might want to find a core member and invite them to give correction to you when they see it. I do this with people under me because I know how difficult it is for people under authority to correct somebody over them, right? Can you imagine, like, anybody play sports? In high school, how easy is it to go, I'm going to go rebuke the coach? Mm, not so easy. But what if the coach came to you and said, listen, I want to have the best team we could have, 
And I'm not perfect. I'm doing my best. But there are blind spots in my leadership that I don't see. And if you see it, I expect you to tell me. What if the coach told you that? Still be hard. But you'd be more willing to do it, wouldn't you? Like, so if you see something in our team or you see a, a breakdown in our system or you see a deficiency in my leadership, I, want you, I welcome you to come and talk with me and let me know how I could become better as a coach. I've found that this is for small group leaders. If you want to hear from people in your small group, it's really the only way to do it. Um, I had a conversation like this with Caleb recently. It was, I think it was in December. We were uh, talking about uh, the semester, how to go Caleb, um, you know, how you're liking being a campus missionary, what's going well, just good, good conversation. And uh, kind of a semester review, if you will. And I remember I, I told you, hey, uh, if you see things in me, in my leadership, that could grow or could, I could do better, let me know. Do you remember that conversation? Uh, oh, yeah. He came, the next staff meeting, he had a list of 30 things. It was just like so much hurt and poison in there. <laughs> it just came out. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. No, it, he didn't say anything. But, but I would want you to. I mean, and the reason I had that conversation is because I realize it's very, I want to grow in wisdom. And I know that it's one thing for Pastor Aaron Halavin to bring a correction to me, who's the leader of all the churches in Michigan. It's one thing for him to bring correction downward into my life. It's different for people under me. But I want that. I want to grow. I want to grow in wisdom. I told my kids that as a a parent. Um, I remember, we're going to keep going. This is a Chris Payne sermon. Yeah, let's go. Chris, I hope that didn't hurt your feelings. Oh, I was just making fun of you. Um, Welcome correction from your friends and those under you. I remember one time when, I don't know why I'm doing all these, like, illustrations for my kids. Get ready. Poor guys. So um, Emma got out of here. So one time, uh, Johnny was probably, what this story, he was probably 10 and what I'm thinking about. And it ties into my little flower. So I'm going to be really transparent and talk about my failures as a father. So, and Emma, Johnny's real calm and smooth. I love your personality. I tell him that all the time. He's, I'm, I'm a little more intense, and Emma's got that feistiness from me. Whereas Johnny's just more smooth. So Emma and Johnny were in some kind of altercation, and they were little. He was probably eight, and she was 10. And they ran around the corner from the kitchen, and Emma was just not tears. Oh, Johnny hurt me, Johnny. And I was like, you hurt my flower. <laughs> you, we, Griscoe men don't hurt women. No, we don't do that. Like, you hurt her? Now, let's be fair to you. She probably exaggerated and got you in trouble. <laughs> not that you're perfect. You do things wrong. But I, I don't know. It, we know for sure it wasn't as bad as she made it out to be, right? You're little kids. But in that moment, I got f- just caught up in the flesh, and I was angry. And I remember uh, Johnny, I, I took Johnny, and I grabbed you, and I slammed him on the, uh, the front. When you come in our front of our house, there's a closet. And I pushed him there, and I picked him up. I was like, don't hurt Emma. 
And I looked, and your face was like, oh, my, you're scared. And I'm like, ugh. And I felt so terrible. Like, what am I doing? It just broke me as a man, as a dad. Like, why would I do this? And I knew I got caught up in the moment. And then Emma was, like, probably thinking, oh, shoot, I went too far with this, you know. And she's like, where's Emma? She's hiding in the corner. <laughs> I didn't mean that to happen. Um, and, and I'm not trying to say that Emma faked it. I shouldn't say that either. But in that moment, that was just, just a terrible moment. And I... I started, I prayed about it, and so the, the, I think it was the next day, I said, hey, we got to have a family meeting. So gathered up the kids. Matt was probably like a little five-year-old dude then, or like three, a little, little cooter. We came into the living room, and of course, when that happens, some of you, some of you raised in homes where things got intense at times. I'm not trying to bring up all the memories, but you know what I'm talking about, right? It's scary, right? So the whole family knew what happened. You know what I mean? It's like, are we going to just sweep it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen? Or am I going to be a leader? I said, I'm going to be a leader. So let's get in the living room. We all got in the living room, and I just explained the story. And I said, you know, what I did was absolutely wrong. It was sinful. And Johnny, I'm sorry. You know, please forgive me for that. Dad should not have done that. Um, and, and I said, you know what, guys, um, that's not what a good father does, and I want to be a good father, so I want you to pray for me. So will you guys pray for Daddy that I'll be a good leader for our home spiritually? And so I knelt down with all the little suckers around me, and uh, I said, you lay hands on me and pray for me, and they prayed for me that I would be a good daddy, okay? So that... That is, you know, so being willing to uh, exhibit humility will lead to wisdom, and that brought healing in our home, obviously. Like, okay, well, yeah, that was, dad was a jerk, but at least he knows he's a jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? The worst thing is when you're a leader and everybody knows you're a jerk, but you don't know it. Once you admit you're a jerk, they're like, sweet, I can follow this lady. I can follow this guy, you know? So, um, so anyway, all that to say, with people under your leadership and core groups or staff members here or as your parents in the future, be willing to exhibit humility and, re- and receive rebuke from those under you as well, if that makes sense. So, all right, so that, that is how to give and that is how to receive. I want to close with a song of worship here. We have the band come forward. Um, I'd really like to see us a culture develop in our core groups in 2023, where we lovingly can, can correct one another. Because I assume you want to be the best you can be. You want to grow as, as a woman of God. You want to grow as a man of God. And how awesome would it be to see this as a culture within our small groups? Incredible, isn't it? To see a healthy uh, correction. Well, so there you go. My first sermon of 2023 on rebuking. Hope you enjoyed it. Anyway, can we, can we stand up together? And uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll take it away. You guys remember your homework, right? Do you guys know your homework? Your homework is to pray and think about who you're going to invite into your life to be your uh, special rebuker. And you're going to invite them in to that role and ask them to, to uh, have that role in your life, to bring correction when there's blind spots that you don't see. That's the homework. Father, we thank you for... Um, loving rebuke as dangerous as it is 
for us to fail to see a blind spot when we're on the highway in our car. It's far more dangerous to have a blind spot in our life that we don't see that could lead to our eventual brokenness beyond remedy. But I thank you that you have raised up your church and and all these great core members and staff members that see things in us that we don't see. And we pray that this year will be a year that we are willing to lovingly receive and to give correction and help point out blind spots so that we can become the best follower of Jesus that, that we're created to be. So God, I pray that you'll guide us this week as we think about who that could be and uh, just lead us, we pray. Thank you for this time and this great service. And we pray this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.